ಸ್ಮರಾಮ ಸ್ಮರಾಮಸ್ತೇಕ ಭಜಾಮ ತದೇಕ ಜಗತ್ಸಾಕ್ಷಿಪ ಸದೇಕ ನಿಧಾನ ನಿರಾಲಂಬಮೀಶ ಭೋಧಿಪೂತ ಶರಣ್ಯಂ ವ್ರಜಾಮ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 On that alone do we meditate, that alone do we worship. To that alone, the witness of the universe, do we bow. To that one who is our sole eternal support, the self-existent Lord, the raft to safety across the ocean of samsara, do we come for refuge. Om, peace, peace, peace. Good morning. Very nice to see everyone. Our topic today is making spiritual progress. An important topic. Now, the notion of progress in spiritual life is not universally held. We can say in ordinary religious life it doesn't apply, especially in Western religions. It is enough to have faith and lead a good moral life and after death you go to heaven and that's all this all is taken care of just one salvation is assured if one just has faith and leads a good moral life in the purva mimamsa school of indian philosophy also we have this very strong emphasis on action on karma on proper action rituals and mantras which properly performed which will send one to heaven and after the exhaustion of the merits of that karma one comes back to earth and in a good life and again does the whole thing and the whole circle goes on and on so it's in the uttara mimamsa which is our vedanta philosophy where we get the idea of a supreme goal of life in a word we can call it mukti freedom liberation freedom from the round of births and deaths freedom from samsara and the attainment of infinite consciousness infinite existence infinite bliss actually vedanta goes further it doesn't say we attain infinite bliss attainment the word attainment suggests that we have to get we are getting something that we don't have we don't already have but vedanta says no we are that we our very nature is that of infinite consciousness infinite bliss we are the ever perfect ever free atman swami vivekananda says this is therefore true knowledge that the soul of our souls the reality that is within us is that which is unchangeable eternal ever blessed ever free this is the only solid ground for us to stand upon this then is the end of all death the advent of immortality the end of all misery and he who sees that one among the many that one unchangeable in the universe of change he who sees him as the soul of his soul unto him belongs eternal peace unto none else so we merely have to realize our true nature we merely have to see that one among the many or in devotional language 
to realize God. So according to Vedanta, this is the goal of life. And Sri Ramakrishna again and again says, to realize God is the one goal of life. In this light, the notion of progress begins to make sense. We can take an honest look at our own condition and find that, well, we are not immersed in bliss all the time. We are not seeing the one infinite reality dwelling within all things. We feel somehow bound. We feel caught in our habits, caught in our bodies and our minds. We feel somehow limited. So spiritual progress is progress that we make towards realizing God, towards realizing our true self. There is a question that spiritual seekers often ask, especially at the beginning of spiritual life, when we first start taking up spiritual practices like prayer and meditation. We ask ourselves, well, am I making any progress? Am I, am I coming closer to realizing God? And perhaps our parents or our friends or our spouses ask us, well, all that time you're spending in meditation, are you getting anything out of it? Are you, are you improving? If not, why are you wasting your time? So it, <laughs> this is a healthy question that we ought to ask ourselves from time to time. But to ask after a few days of meditation is a little premature. Spiritual progress can be gauged over the years and perhaps over months. But if we look for it over a few days, we are bound to be disappointed. Transformation does not come so quickly. Of course, on the other hand, transformation can come in the blink of an eye, in an instant. But the preparation for that transformation generally takes years of practice. Now, this question that we often are asking ourselves at the beginning of spiritual life, am I making progress, am I making progress? Gradually, we get into a habit of spiritual practices. We don't ask this question anymore. We may forget to ask this question, in fact. And the, maybe the initial zeal with which we were undertaking spiritual practices begins to fade. The beginner, it is said, has a great zeal. And the expert, not so much. The expert knows everything, but doesn't have so much intensity of zeal. So we have a regular meditation. Uh, not much seems to happen. We are not having visions of God. We're not having ecstasy. Our meditation maybe doesn't go all that deep. Maybe it seems like we're spinning our wheels, not making much progress. Well, there are two answers. First of all, it may not be the case at all. We may be looking for the wrong things. We may be hoping for visions and ecstasies or miracles. True spiritual progress, however, is not measured by these things. True spiritual progress is measured by development of character, steadiness of temperament. I'd like to read out what Swami Tapasyananda wrote about this. He was writing about Holy Mother. He wrote, Ecstasies and visions are only the byproducts of spiritual realization. They may or may not appear according to an aspirant's temperament. The essence of realization, however, consists in a transformation of the inner life and not in any external manifestation. 
The Holy Mother was speaking from experience when she put this idea so beautifully in the following words. What does one obtain by the realization of God? Does one grow a pair of horns? No. Our mind becomes pure, and through that pure mind comes enlightenment. The Bhagavad Gita has several important passages describing the nature of the illumined soul, the realized soul. The Stitta Pragna Lakshana in chapter 2, the signs of the Stitta Pragna, the person of steady wisdom. Then in chapter 12, the description of the perfected devotee. And chapter 14, the person who has gone beyond the gunas, the gunatita. These are beautiful descriptions which are very useful for our... In one way, we can measure our own spiritual progress by how far we measure up to these passages, how far we are able to live up to the ideals expressed in these passages. I'd like to take for an example, in chapter 12, just two verses. There are a number of verses. We're just going to take two of them, the 13th and 14th verse. Advesta sarvabhutanam maitra karuna evacha nirmamo nirahankaraha samadukha sukhakshami santushtas satatan yogi yatat madridha nishchayaha mayarpita mano buddhir yomad bhaktas same priyaha he who never hates any being and is friendly and compassionate to all, who is free from the feelings of I and mine and even-minded in pain and pleasure, who is forbearing, ever content and steady in contemplation, who is self-controlled and possessed of firm conviction and who has consecrated his mind and understanding to me, dear to me, is the one who is thus devoted to me. I'd like to take up just a couple of the ideas here. This idea, we start out with this idea of Advesta Sarvabhutanam, not having hatred towards any being, not having hatred towards any being. This is a beautiful idea, and we can see how on the surface, it may seem rather easy, but in practice, we find very, very difficult. Take, let's take the example of uh, just in our own families. Not so difficult to have no hatred towards our members of our own families, but even there we find sometimes we get some difficulty. Then maybe at work we have a colleague who is spreading rumors about us behind our backs. Well, is it easy? It's not so easy not to feel some kind of hatred towards that person. Or how about someone like Osama bin Laden? Hmm? Now, I was act frankly, I was shocked and disappointed to see uh, when he was ass uh, assassinated that the people were dancing in the streets in this country. That shows... Uh, a spiritual immaturity, we can say. This is a sign of hatred, actually, a kind of hatred for this person. So no doubt it's difficult, but our ideal is to eliminate hatred from our hearts. When we are dancing in the streets because a wicked man has been killed, 
then we're not living up to this ideal of or how about take even the case of a mosquito hmm? we, can, we could feel some hatred towards a mosquito maybe we're trying to get a, a night's sleep and it keeps just we're drifting off and again that little sing, singing is coming in our ear and we waving in the air and fruitlessly uh, batting the air and uh, so we get feel some hatred there's another term which I love right here at the, in the 14th verse, Mayarupitamano buddhihi, who has offered, we can say arpita, offered or consecrated the mind and the wisdom, the mind and the understanding, the manas and the buddhi, to me, to the Lord, to the divine. It's not just a question of, of uh, fixing the mind say, but offering the mind, placing our own mind and intelligence and understanding into the hands of the divine. Mayarpitamano buddhir yo madbhaktasame priyaha Such a devotee is dear to me, says Sri Krishna. These principles of spiritual life outlined in these descriptions of the Illumined souls are also practices for us. I love the saying, the siddhi of the siddha is the sadhana of the sadhaka. Probably I have mentioned it many times. The siddhi, that perfe- the perfection of the siddha, the perfected soul, is the sadhana, the spiritual practice of the sadhaka, the seeker. So we take these ideas and try to put them into practice in our lives. Just one of these ideas we can take and spend a lifetime perfecting it. Because of the strong emphasis on God-realization, on illumination in Vedanta, we sometimes may get the idea that illumination or realization is an all-or-nothing affair. Either the light is on or it's off. The light is off, we haven't realized. The light is on, we have realized. Actually, it's the path towards illumination is not like that, not like just an on-off switch. Off for hundreds of years, hundreds of lifetimes, and then finally the switch is on and all our problems are solved and uh, we live happily ever after. It's not like that. It's a gradual continuum, we can say. We may not be fully illumined souls, but we have made progress, and we are making progress towards that goal. Sri Ramakrishna has a beautiful parable about a wealthy man who is going to visit the house of his servant, and how the signs of the impending visit of the master are shown. He says, The man in whom longing for God manifests its glories is not far from attaining him. What are the glories of that longing? They are discrimination, dispassion, compassion for living beings, serving holy men, loving their company, chanting the name and glories of God, telling the truth and the like. When you see those signs of longing in an aspirant, you can rightly say that for him the vision of God is not far to seek. 
the state of a servant's house will tell you unmistakably whether his master has decided to visit it. First, the rubbish and jungle around the house are cleared up. Second, the soot and dirt are removed from the rooms. Third, the courtyard, floors, and other places are swept clean. Finally, the master himself sends various things to the house, such as a carpet, a hubble bubble for smoking, and the like. When you see these things arriving, you conclude that the master will very soon come. It's a wonderful parable. We see how in stages the house is prepared for the master. First the jungle is cleared up, then the dirt is cleaned, then the everything is swept nicely, and then finally, because the servant can't afford these things, the master sends his own carpet and hubble bubble for smoking, the, the water pipe for smoking. These are sent. So when we see these signs in the servant's house, we know the master's coming pretty soon. And likewise, we look at in our own lives and we find oh, compassion is growing for living beings. We find some dispassion for the world. We find uh, the, that we enjoy, especially keeping holy company. We start to enjoy puja, singing holy songs. These are signs that the master is uh, coming closer to visiting the house. And as we see these signs, we can get more enthusiasm, more zeal. Sri Ramakrishna tells about the man who's digging for a metal jar filled with money. He says, suppose a jar with money inside is hidden deep under the earth and someone wants to possess it. In that case, he must take the trouble of digging for it. As he digs, he perspires. It's hard work. After much digging, the spade strikes the metal jar. He feels a thrill at the sound. The more sound the spade makes striking against the jar, the more joy he feels. Finally, of course, he digs the jar out, opens it up, and counts all the money, and his joy is so great. Sri Ramakrishna often used these examples of, say, getting gold or getting money. The joy of a miser at getting a whole bunch of money is, is, is a kind of great worldly joy. So using that as a simile for spiritual joy. Now I'd like to take a look at the other side of the coin of this question are we making spiritual progress? Take, we'll take another tack here. Maybe it seems like we're not making any spiritual progress. Maybe it seems like we're just spinning our wheels because actually we're just spinning our wheels and we're not making any progress. That's also a possibility. In spite of our spiritual practices, maybe we're not really going forward. We're not really making much progress. There is an incident at Dakshineshwar, when Balaram Bose's father was visiting his son and went to Dakshineshwar to see Sri Ramakrishna. Balaram Bose was one of Sri Ramakrishna's prominent householder disciples. And he came from an Orthodox Vaishnava family. Now, the Vaishnavas generally in those days, the Orthodox Vaishnavas, and still today, are a little bit one-sided, Sri Ramakrishna used to say. They feel that their path alone is correct. So Sri Ramakrishna would sometimes, if such a person would come to his presence, he would give some strong ideas about harmony of religions and, and uh, 
to try to break that one-sidedness. So his uh, Balaram's father was he would have had the marks on his forehead and the japa mala always in his hand in a little bag and doing japa all the time and wearing bhak the Vaishnava's religious garb. So it was Wednesday, October 10th, 1883. Sri Ramakrishna says, In reality, there are not two. There is only one. A man may call on God by any name. If he is sincere in his prayer, he will certainly reach him. He will succeed if he has longing. As Sri Ramakrishna spoke these words to the devotees, he was overwhelmed with divine fervor. Coming down to partial consciousness of the world, he said to Balaram's father, Are you the father father of Balaram? All sat in silence. Balaram's aged father was silently telling his beads. Sri Ramakrishna said to M and the others, Well, these people practice so much japa and go to so many sacred places, but why are they like this? Why do they make no progress? In their case, it seems as if the year consists of 18 months. Once I said to Harish, What is the use of going to Banaras if one does not feel restless for God? And if one feels that longing, then this very place is Banaras. They make so many pilgrimages and repeat the name of God so much, but why do they not realize anything? It is because they have no longing for God. God reveals himself to the devotee if only he calls upon him with a longing heart. This is perhaps the fundamental teaching of Sri Ramakrishna, this longing for God as the very essence and essential element of spiritual life. This is the missing factor in Balaram's father's spiritual life, this Vyakulata. This longing, it's like the locomotive that pulls the freight train of our spiritual life. It's what drives us forward. And though Balaram's father, like the Orthodox Vaishnavas, would have been very pious and religious, doing lots of japa and pilgrimage and study and all that, it didn't have that longing with it. So Sri Ramakrishna could see that he wasn't making progress. Probably he was making progress, but he wasn't making as much as one would expect with doing so much japa and all the pilgrimages and all that. So the missing ingredient is longing. In the Yoga Sutra also we find this point discussed. Patanjali says that there is success is speedy for the extremely energetic. The extremely energetic. Tivra samveganam asannaha. And the success of yogis differs according as the means they adopt are different, as they have mild, medium, or intense means. Mridu, madhya, adhimatratvat, tatopi visheshaha. So this mridu, this soft, gentle practice will be going along softly and gently, not much progress. Madhya, middling, and Adhimatra, intense. As we get this kind of intense yearning and this intense practice, we make speedy progress also. 
It is not how much time we spend in japa and meditation and prayer and all that. But how intense is that meditation? How intensely are we repeating the name of God? Are we getting absorbed in the name of God? And that intensity is determined by desire. The more strongly we desire something, the more intensely we will strive to get it. That's a psychological law, whether it be money or God. If we're not making spiritual progress, it may be easy to blame our circumstances. Oh, we have so many duties, we have to work, and we have our families and all that. It doesn't leave me any time for meditation. Well, maybe the blame rather lies with our lukewarm fervor. We don't have that burning longing which gives us the grit needed to hasten our progress. Sri Ramakrishna gives two examples of what kind of longing we need. He brings the, the, the disciple to the lake and the thief and the gold in the next room. There's a, there's a room with a chest full of gold and the room is locked for the night and there's a thin partition between that room and the next room and there's a, th- a thief is given the next room to sleep in for the night and he knows about the gold in the room next to him. Now is that thief going to be able to sleep? He's a thief. He knows there's a chest of gold in the next room. There's a thin partition. He's going to be up all night tossing and turning, wondering, how can I get at that gold? How can I get at it? Maybe he'll start trying to break down that wall and get it. Well, we're all in the same condition. There's a thin partition between us and the great chest of gold that is the divine reality, which is just obscured by a thin partition, a thin veil. If we are a real thief, then we'll strive very hard to break that veil. So let us be thieves. Let us be one of a thief for Sri Ramakrishna. Now, all of us have yearning, or we wouldn't be here. We all have some yearning, or we wouldn't even take up any spiritual practice. We wouldn't be interested in coming to Vedanta Center. So that's a great treasure which we must protect. It's like a little fire. When it's burning, in, if anyone has been in Boy Scouts or learned how to build a fire in the outdoors, if the wind is blowing, it's a little difficult to light the fire. You have to maybe find a couple of big rocks and shield it nicely, and you start with little twigs and pine needles, and you light it and then very carefully protect it and gradually add more sticks and bigger sticks and bigger sticks. Finally, it becomes a roaring fire and nothing can blow it out. But in the early stages, it's just a little fire. The wind could easily blow it out. So it's got to be protected and gradually stoked and fed with more fuel. So how to protect and increase our longing? One of the principal methods is what we're doing right here, right now, keeping holy company. We're keeping the company of fellow seekers of God, fellow devotees. In our working lives, in our student lives, and even in family life, we find that not everyone has longing for God. In fact, only one in thousands has it, says Sri Krishna in the Gita. So when we mix with those people who don't have it, we must take care that we don't absorb their doubt, we don't absorb their indifference to spiritual life, their atheistic attitude. 
in any group there is a tendency called the tendency to surrender to the collective. We find a collective level of yearning amongst a group of people. Now anyone who is below that level will tend to be pulled up to the median point. But anyone who is above that level will tend to get pulled down to the median. So this surrender to the collective is one thing we have to guard against. If we find that our yearning is getting a little stronger. But the people around us, they don't have much yearning. We have to be careful that we don't get pulled back down to their level. Rather, we should be pulling them up to our level. But that takes conscious work. One of our swamis wrote a beautiful article about yearning, spiritual aspiration, as he calls it. And he discusses one common obstacle to intensifying our spiritual life. He says... It is the preoccupation with the trifling things of day-to-day life. Preoccupation with the trifling things. The daily routine, he writes, the daily routine absorbs all their attention while their imprisoned souls watch tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, moving away from them, never to return. The Internet nowadays only intensifies this problem. Nowadays, it's so easy to get involved in the trifles. We're not only involved in the trifles of our own lives, we're involved in the trifles of other people's lives, on the Facebook and the Twitter and all those things. What is is there? It's all trifling things. I I scratched my nose today, and they'll write it on the thing. Someone else will answer, oh, hope hope it was nice. Then where is the time for spiritual practice if we're getting involved in these things? Another means of important means of protecting and increasing our yearning is the practice of viveka, nitya nitya vastu viveka, the discernment, we can say, the discernment between the eternal and the ephemeral. And if we look at this, at our own lives and look deeply, we find that there's nothing that stays the same, nothing that really lasts forever. Our bodies die, our friends' bodies die, our parents' bodies die, our children's bodies will die. This Vedanta Center, this nice building, will crumble into dust. I love the example of this very earth. This very earth is a temporary something. The astronomers tell us that the sun has a limited amount of hydrogen fuel, which it is turning into helium by the process of fusion by which it emits the energy as sunlight and heat and at a certain point the hydrogen will all be fused into helium then a different process will begin and it will turn into a red giant, a red giant star the outer limits of that star will be beyond the orbit of the earth it will get so big that the limits of it will be beyond the orbit of the earth so what will become of this earth? burnt to a cinder and absorbed into, that, into the sun. There will be nothing left of it, nothing whatsoever. So this is why Sri Krishna says, Anityamasukam lokam imam prapya bhajaswamam Having come into this impermanent world where nothing gives us lasting satisfaction, worship thou me, O Arjuna. So this Driving this 
idea home to our minds definitely will increase our longing for that which is permanent. Because behind this impermanent world, within all the changing things, there is the one which does not change. And that we have to realize. Now I'd like to look a little bit at the idea of progress in the, uh, with regard to the four yogas. Sometimes we think primarily of progress. We say, oh, I can't meditate, my mind is so distracted, I'm not making any progress. Well, progress has to take place in all the four yogas, has to take place in all the elements of our personality, the, the dimensions of our personality. And we can say that we will be growing in conviction, concentration, love, and unselfishness. We can say these correspond to the four yogas. Conviction, concentration, love, and unselfishness, corresponding to jnana yoga, raja yoga, bhakti yoga, and karma yoga. In jnana yoga, we have the principles of shravana, manana, and nididhasana. First, we hear about the truth of Vedanta. We hear about the truth that there is but one, that one infinite reality which is the basis of all things and our own true nature. And then we think about it. We do manana. We reflect about it. We try to eliminate the doubts we may have about it. And then we try to feel it. We, try, we, we meditate on it. We make it our own. Nididhyasana. And gradually, as we go on hearing about Vedantic truths and thinking about them and meditating on them, we begin to become convinced of their truth. We begin to develop a conviction that, yes, this is true, it must be true. We may not have experienced it directly yet, but our conviction grows stronger and stronger. This conviction begins to color our whole experience. Swami Swahanandaji often says that this conviction itself is a kind of realization. It's a ripening of faith, a conviction in the higher reality, the divine nature of the soul, that my existence doesn't end with this body. So this is the progress we find in Jnana Yoga. Now in Raja Yoga, we are developing concentration. People meditate for various reasons to gain health, peace of mind, prosperity, to reduce tension, to become more effective at work. Even sports teams are meditating nowadays before a big game so that they win the game. But spiritual seekers meditate to discover the divine dwelling within. They try to fix the mind on the divine using a form, a visual symbol, or a mantra, a sound symbol, and try to still the restless waves of the mind and focus it like a lens or keep it still like a candle flame in a windless place, or like a stream of oil flowing from one container into another. It doesn't have any breaks in it, but flows in a one continuous flow. And it only takes one attempt to know how difficult this is, how very difficult. Arjuna states the dilemma of every meditator. As hard to control the restless, turbulent mind as to gain control over the wind, he says. Can we control the wind? That's how hard it is to control the mind. So we, don't, we won't find progress one day to the next, but 
Sri Krishna gives us the recipe. Abhyasa, repeated practice, repeated practice, repeated practice, and vairagya, detachment, detachment, detachment. Swami Brahmananda says, have patience, infinite patience, until you reach the reality. In the primary stage, meditation is tiresome. It is like learning the alphabet. Gradually, peace comes. There are boys who, after they have been initiated, complain to me that they are not getting anywhere. I do not listen to them for two or three years. Then later they come and tell me, Yes, Maharaj, I am getting somewhere now. Do not be impatient. Struggle intensely for two or three years, and your heart will be flooded with joy. And Sri Ramakrishna exhorts us to dive deep, dive deep in meditation. What will you gain by floating on the surface, he says. Dive a little under the water. The gems lie deep under the water. So what is the good of throwing your arms and legs about on the surface? A real gem is heavy. It doesn't float. It sinks to the bottom. To get the real gem, you must dive deep. You must dive. Otherwise, you can't get the gem. Then he would sing that song. Dup, 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 rup, shagore, Dive deep, O oh mind, dive deep in the ocean of God's beauty. Sri Ramakrishna also gives the example of japa as a wonderful practice, and he likens it to following a chain, the chain of God's name. Japa means silently repeating God's name in solitude. Suppose there is a piece of timber sunk in the water of the Ganges and fastened with a chain to the bank. You proceed link by link, holding to the chain, and you dive into the water and follow the chain. Finally, you are able to reach the timber. In the same way, by repeating God's name, you become absorbed in him and finally realize him. Now, in bhakti yoga, we find the essence of bhakti yoga is, of course, love, love for the divine. And it is said to be both the means and the goal. Love is the means and love is the goal. Now, how we may ask, how can we love God if we don't, haven't seen God? Swami Arupananda asked the Holy Mother, how can one yearn for God without seeing the manifestation of his love? Mother answered, Yes, it is possible. There lies the grace of God. Sri Ramakrishna emphasized devotion probably as much as yearning. The two are actually very much connected. We yearn for that which we love. How much does a mother yearn for her child who has perhaps gone to college in another town? Or when a newlywed couple has to be separated for some time, maybe only one, two or three days, how much they'll yearn for each other. So we are all separated from our beloved. Separated from our beloved. Can we yearn for the reunion? Sri Ramakrishna would often talk about stages of devotion. He would say, How can a devotee attain such love? First, the company of holy men. That awakens shraddha, faith in God. Then comes nishtha, single-minded devotion to the ideal. In that stage, the devotee does not like to hear anything but talk about God. He performs only those acts that please God. 
After nishtha comes bhakti, devotion to God. Then comes bhava. Next, mahabhava. Then prema. And last of all, the attainment of God himself. Only for Ishvara Kotis, such as the incarnations, is it possible to have Mahabhava or Prema. So we do grow in love for the divine. And there are many practices like japa, prayer, puja, chanting, singing. These fall in the realm of Vaidhi Bhakti, as Sri Ramakrishna used to call it. He says, according to Vaidhi Bhakti, one must repeat the name of God a fixed number of times, fast, make pilgrimages, worship God with prescribed offerings, make so many sacrifices, and so forth and so on. By continuing such practices a long time, one gradually acquires Raga Bhakti. God cannot be realized until one has Raga Bhakti. One simple practice which many of us follow is what we do here at the Vedanta Center. We maintain a shrine. It's a wonderful way to cultivate devotion. We keep some holy pictures. We keep the place clean. We offer some flowers or some incense every day. We bow down, bowing our heads to the floor. We practice our prayer here. We practice our meditation here. And it's a powerful way to cultivate devotion. Now, the essence of karma yoga is growing more unselfish, I'm proposing. We start with karma palatyaga, relinquishing the fruits of our actions. We do all kinds of work, we do all kinds of action, but we try to let go of the fruits. We try to give up expecting results from those actions. Gradually, as we progress in the practice of karma yoga, we learn to give up the idea that I am the doer, that I am doing. We can call it kartritthyaga, giving up the agentship, and we give up self-will, becoming an instrument in the hands of the divine. We can say it progresses from work and worship to work as worship, to work is worship. Work and worship. We do our work and we do worship and we try to offer the results of our work to God. Then work as worship. As we're doing the work itself, we're feeling that we're trying to do it as though it's a worship. And that matures that we actually feel and experience that everything we do is worship of the divine. It is in performing action, in karma, that we test our spiritual progress. Here it's really where we get tested. Hmm? Are we becoming more loving? Are we becoming more patient? How is our power of forbearance increasing? When our co-workers drive us crazy, can we maintain our equanimity? This is where we are really tested. I'd like to read out a quote from Swami Ranganathanandaji, who was the 13th president of the Ramakrishna order. Perhaps you've seen it. It's a famous, one of his famous sayings, and there's a beautiful picture of him with his finger out. And he says, Are you growing spiritually? Can you love others? Can you feel oneness with others? 
Have you peace within yourself? And do you radiate it around you? That is called spiritual growth, which is stimulated by meditation inwardly and by work done in a spirit of service outwardly. So, see, he names these signs of spiritual growth, feeling oneness with others, radiating peace, not only finding peace within ourselves, but radiating it to others, sharing it with others, not eating our mangoes in secret, but sharing our mangoes with everyone. I'd like to read this again. It's a beautiful quote. Are you growing spiritually? Can you love others? Can you feel oneness with others? Have you peace within yourself? And do you radiate it around you? That is called spiritual growth, which is stimulated by meditation inwardly and by work done in a spirit of service outwardly. So I'd like to close by remembering Sri Ramakrishna's exhortations to go forward in spiritual life. He used to say, Go forward, go forward. We mustn't be satisfied with our current state. It's a kind of a paradox, because on the one hand, we are to cultivate contentment with our externals. The cultivation of contentment is an important discipline. And yet, and at the same time, we are to have patience, because the goal is not attained in a day. And yet, we are to have this discontent, a divine discontent, not to be satisfied with our current progress, but to go forward, go forward, and go forward. Of course, we always start from where we are. That also we have to recognize. Swami Vivekananda reminds us, it is too often believed that a person in his progress towards perfection passes from error to truth, that when he passes on from one thought to another, he must necessarily reject the first. But no error can lead to truth. The soul passing through its different stages goes from truth to truth. And each stage is true. It goes from lower truth to higher truth. So I close with a reading from the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. The date is June 15, 1884, at the garden house of Surendra at Kankugachi. It must have been right close to Ramchandra Dutta's garden house. And Sri Ramakrishna was spending the day there with the devotees. Sri Ramakrishna says, Devote yourself to spiritual practice and go forward. Through practice, you will advance more and more in the path of God. At last, you will come to know that God alone is real and all else is illusory and that the goal of life is the attainment of God. Once upon a time, a woodcutter went into a forest to chop wood. There suddenly he met a brahmachari. The holy man said to him, My good man, go forward. On returning home, the woodcutter asked himself, Why did the brahmachari tell me to go forward? Some time passed. One day he remembered the brahmachari's words. He said to himself, Today I shall go deeper into the forest. Going deep into the forest, he discovered innumerable sandalwood trees. 
He was very happy and returned with cartloads of sandalwood. He sold them in the market and became very rich. A few days later, he again remembered the words of the holy man to go forward. He went deeper into the forest and discovered a silver mine near a river. This was even beyond his dreams. He dug out silver from the mine and sold it in the market. He got so much money that he didn't even know how much he had. A few more days passed. One day he thought, The brahmachari didn't ask me to stop at the silver mine. He told me to go forward. This time he went to the other side of the river and found a gold mine. Then he exclaimed, Ah, just see, this is why he asked me to go forward. Again, a few days afterwards, he went still deeper into the forest and found heaps of diamonds and other precious gems. He took these also and became as rich as the god of wealth himself. Therefore I say that whatever you may do, you will find better and better things, if only you go forward. You may feel a little, little ecstasy as the result of japa, but don't conclude from this that you have achieved everything in spiritual life. Work is by no means the goal of life. Go forward, and then you will be able to perform unselfish work. But again, I say that it is most difficult to perform unselfish work. Therefore, with love and longing in your heart, pray to God. O God, grant me devotion at thy lotus feet and reduce my worldly duties. Please grant me the boon that the few duties I must do may be done in a detached spirit. If you go still farther, you will realize God. You will see him. In time, you will converse with him. Om Tomiva Mata Chapita Tomiva Tomiva Bandhusha Sakha Tomiva Tomiva Vidyadravinam Tomiva Tomiva Sarvam Mamadiva Diva Kayena Vacha Manasendriyelva Buddhyatmana Prakriti Svabhavat Karomi Yadyad Sakalam Parasmai Narayana Yeti Samarpayami Om Shanti 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 Thou art my mother, my father, thou. Thou art my friend, my companion, thou. Thou art my knowledge, my wealth, thou. Thou art my all in all, O God of gods. Whatever we do through our body, speech, mind, senses, intellect, soul, or even unconscious natural impulses, all that we dedicate as an offering to the Supreme Lord. Om, peace, peace, peace.